On December the 1st, 1955, an African-American woman by the name of Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat to a white person on a bus in Montgomery, Alabama. And the rest, as they say, is history. But there's much, much more to Rosa Parks than the seat on the bus. And I quote, Mrs. Parks is a seminal point in the history of civil, human and women's rights. Now Rosa Parks is a subject of a book by her friend and founder of O Museum in the Mansion in Washington, D.C. in the States, H. H. Leonard's. The book is called Rosa Parks Beyond the Bus, Life, Lessons and Leadership and is published by R.H. Boyd in the States. Hello, I'm Brent Siddle. Welcome to the God Story podcast and welcome indeed to our very special guest, H. H. Leonard's. Hello to you. I am honored to be on your program and I wish I had your accent. I would sound so much better. But I have the Midwestern accent. I'm from Indiana, so smack dab in the center of the United States. I love all sorts of American accents. We adore them over here. And I've got to say, um, I'm, you're sitting behind, people can't see this because this is an audio-only podcast, but you're sitting behind the most magnificent room with furnishings and a doorway and architecture, and I'm just admiring it. What is the O Museum in the mansion? What is the mansion? It is um, anyone that passes through the doors has said it's a sanctuary to disappear in and regroup and um, be reacquainted with yourself. It's filled with donated objects from people all over the world. It's 38,000 square feet. There are 110 rooms, 34 bathrooms, 14 kitchens, two elevators, and it's magical. There's a two-floor log cabin in the center of Washington, D.C. There's a safari room. There is a pop culture room. It goes on and on. And there are 80 secret doors. So one of the reasons Mrs. Parks, when she moved here after being severely accosted at the age of 81, loved about the place was that she felt safe here. No one could find her because of those doors. Yes, uh, an amazing decor. And I gather that everything in in the mansion is people can buy these things. Is that correct? Yes, it helps to fund our uh, social justice and our artists and heroes in residence program, of which Mrs. Parks stayed here for 10 years as part of our heroes in residence at no cost. But nothing with a heartbeat is for sale. (laughs) Only the objects. I'm pleased to hear it. I'm surprised surprised (laughs) you, you don't have phone calls and emails from production companies in England wanting to set episodes of Poirot there. Uh, Looking at the architecture I can see behind me, it'd be perfect for Poirot and Agatha Christie. Anyway. That's all by the by. It would be. So suggest it. That would be great. It would be, yeah. (laughs) I have no power over these things, unfortunately. Now, uh, what actually happened, because let's go back to that seminal time in 1955, a very different America and a very different world indeed. What actually happened to Mrs. Parks on that bus on December the 1st, 1955? Because there's been a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of misrepresentation of what happened. Right. It was one of her big frustrations in life that people would not listen to the actual story. They created their own. Um, She did not plan to be on that bus. If she had known who the bus driver was, she would never have gotten on the bus because they had had a um, horrific episode years before and she um, was petrified of him. The, she was fumbling in her purse for money and she was looking down as she got on the bus. And then when she looked up, after she had started to put her money in the machine, there was no going back. 
but she was also sitting in the black section. She was not sitting in the white section of the bus. Most of the reports on the internet or in history books you read said she sat down in the white section. That's not true. And um, he recognized her too, which is one of the reasons the um, incident blew up. Yes, I think even Wikipedia has an entry saying that Mrs. Sparks was sitting in the uh, in the white whites only section, uh, which is someone needs to change that perhaps. But anyway, <laughs> but and now let's mention the bus driver's name, James Blake. Now, what had happened to Mrs. Sparks with James Blake on a previous bus journey? Well, um, I can only tell you historically what's happened to women on the buses in Montgomery late at night. Bus drivers would take women on their buses that were traveling alone to the end of the line. The police and the bus drivers would rape them mm -hmm. and they would leave them at the end of the line to fend for themselves. It was a horrific time to um, live in the South. Yes. And, and Mrs. Parks herself had a, a remarkable history documenting cases of rape and indeed right. working with rape victims, didn't she? Yes. And she... Little has been written about that. In the 1930s, she documented rape victims in, in, in Alabama, both men and women, and it helped her heal from her experiences. And it was one of the biggest lessons she taught me. When something bad happens to you, go within yourself, regroup, figure out who you want to become, and then go conquer the world. Mm. So that's what I... Uh, got to witness um, personally when she was 81. And uh, she did that several times in her life when horrific things happened to you. And everybody, no matter who they are, from no matter where they live, how much money they have, no one's insulated from pain. And it was a great lesson. Just disappear. Mm. Just disappear. And then figure out who you want to become and how you're going to handle it. And she, her her big lesson was, don't think about yourself ever. Think about people that are less fortunate than you are. Help them. So mm. here is this petite, frail woman in the 1930s walking to homes where people have had horrific incidences to have them give them the opportunity to tell their story, mm. to make them valid human beings, that someone was listening to them. Yes, we'll come on to talk more about um, Mrs. Park's personality, but she comes across as an absolutely beautiful person, really does. But can I, just going back to the bus for a minute, and then we'll move on. Were her actions on that day premeditated? Or did it just, or did she just, did it just happen? Was it a, ma a matter of the moment thing? It was, um, they had been discussing what they should do on the buses at the NAACP where she was a secretary, but she, they had never discussed her doing it. It was not premeditated. Um, and she was fearful because of the bus driver. So she said what kept her seated when he ordered her to move was that it was right after Emmett Till had um, died and they had put photographs in the papers. And she said the weight of those photographs kept her glued to the seat. Hey, can we just explain who Emmett Till was? Emmett Till was a young boy, I think at 14, he was visiting his relatives and a woman, a white woman um, said he had raped her and um, he was killed. Mm. It, um, they have subsequently found out that none of that was real. Um, 
And there's a new movie coming, documentary coming out in a few weeks about the story. Mm. But um, what it's a horrific what man can do to their fellow men without love in their heart. Absolutely. And so what what happened? Just walk us through what happened in the days and weeks following um, Mrs. Parks' protest, if I can if I can call it that. It certainly was. What actually happened to Mrs. Parks? Uh, she got death threats. She lost her job. Her husband lost his job. Um, they had no way to eat. They went to the church. They went to the NAACP to volunteer and help. Um, whatever she had, she gave to those less fortunate. So they had, uh, she cooked for other people. She sewed for other people at no cost just to, to help other people. And then um, because they couldn't get work, they um, migrated to Detroit, Michigan, where she couldn't get work again because of who she was. Everyone saw her name and said, here comes trouble. So she got a job in Hampton, Virginia, as a maid for um, a university. Mm. But, but she was very active in the bus movement in Montgomery uh, immediately after and, and was really responsible for um, getting Dr. Martin Luther King to agree to heading up the Montgomery bus strike. He did not want that position. He had just moved to Montgomery. She had heard him speak in a church and thought he would be perfect. Um, wrote him many letters, which are in the Library of Congress now, um, telling him how important it was and explaining to him that the best asset he had wasn't just being a reverend and being a magnificent orator, but he was new in Montgomery and people didn't have any negatives about him, mm. which is also really mm. interesting and, and has an interesting re way of uh, looking at things. What a great choice to make. I mean, Dr. Martin Luther King, you, she got the right man, didn't she? <laughs> He certainly did. Sure and, did. You know, and he people don't know how much he suffered. His house was burned down twice in Montgomery. So, um, but yes, it is strength to survive and go on and and be positive. And presumably, um, Mrs. Parks would have been an ongoing inspiration to Dr. King. Yes, they they remained very close friends. Yes, when he was uh, when she was the maid in um, Hampton, Virginia, he had been stabbed, and she was crestfallen, very upset. And she went back to Detroit, even though they needed the money because she needed to be with her loved ones. Her mother was in Detroit. Her brother was in Detroit and her husband. So um, she needed to be with her family after that. I think we've already, we've already started to discuss this, but can you give us some picture, particularly for New Zealand audiences, um, of the horror of segregation in the States in the 50s? What was it like for an African-American people, a person, in living in a parts of the South or anywhere in the States in the 50s? Uh, you couldn't go to the bathroom where white people went. You couldn't stay in a hotel where there were white people staying. You couldn't swim in a lake, a river, a pond, or a pool where white people swam. Um, you had, and at least in Alabama, you it was very difficult to even get married. Um, Mrs. Parks was so proud of having gotten an actual license in the state of Alabama that her entire life, even after her husband passed, you could never call her Rosa Parks. It was always Mrs. Rosa Parks um, because she was so honored to have been married legally to the love of her life. Mm. But um, the it, one, it, an another lesson that she taught me um, was I didn't understand at the time the 
she kept on saying to me, the laws, everyone is hiding behind the laws. And if people don't pay attention to people's hearts, the laws will roll back. And that is exactly what is happening in the United States, at least now. She took every opportunity to speak to any group size, whatever it was, it didn't matter. She felt that if people could meet her, they could shake her hand, hear her talk, that they wouldn't fear her. That And all of her conversations were about love is all that matters. Um, that was her, her unifying um, mantra. Mm. Are there similar... Oh, yes. Go ahead. Sorry, no, carry on. That's why the book is so important, because the book isn't about me. It's about her soul. It's about her heart. It's about her lessons. And the biggest lesson is I am give, being given the opportunity to speak her words to you so that people can start focusing in on this love is all that matters. We need to find a unifying force that brings us together with hope. Yes. Now, we should mention we've just been joined by my co-host, Ian Reid, the Reverend Ian Reid from King's Grace Presbyterian Church. Hi, Ian. Sorry, we started a bit early. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are. Anyway, now, so are there similarities, HH, uh, if I can call you that, HH? Am I allowed to call you HH? You can call me H. H. Is that how you prefer to be called? Okay, H, yes. Now, are, are there similarities between what's happening now and what happened during Mrs. Park's lifetime, do you think? Yes. And I, I think it's the reason is because people hid between, behind the laws. They thought that the laws could protect them. They didn't pay attention to the 30% of the population that um, didn't believe in equality and freedom mm. and wanted to roll back to the times where people um, were slaves. Yes, it's shocking, isn't it? Um, yes. And what's interesting is also in, in 1968, her husband got a barber's license and got a barber shop in downtown Detroit. And he his during the riots there, his shop was bombed, but not by the rioters, but by the police. And afterwards, Mrs. Parks was in a diner with her husband, and there was a brown bag where their meal was served on. And she wrote on it, and this is at the Library of Congress too, the struggle continues, the struggle continues, the struggle continues. The struggle will always continue if we don't come together and, and find common ground of, of and meeting people that don't agree with you. That is really important. And treating them with respect and empathy, because that's how, how people in New Zealand, how did they find out about, how did you find out about what she did because of that empathy, because she reached out to youth and education. Yes, I, I, I don't know about you, Ian. Can I bring you in? Were you taught about Rosa Parks in Australia? Ian is from Australia. Did they teach you about Rosa Parks at school? Uh, not, not at all. Not at all? No. Well, we have to confess our own particular um, problems with uh, racial matters and, and differences in, in our two countries, both our countries, don't we? Yeah, and I think they're, they're different to some of the things going on in America um, in the past and the present. But there's, there's a lot of similarities as well, aren't there? Yeah. Yes, I mean, I'm talking about segregation. I believe there were parts of New Zealand where uh, Maori, who are our indigenous population, were, if you went to a picture theatre or various places, Maori were downstairs and white people were upstairs. It was a sort of unofficial, uh, unwritten rule, but... There you go. There it was. That was in the 50s. Now, um, H, how did you come to meet Mrs. Parks? Uh, I started with no money, no business background, no art background, no design background. The O Museum in the mansion 
moved in February 14th with no furniture, a few books, lots of records, slept at the, on the floor, but started having artists and heroes and residents stay with us. Um, and um, word got out. And when she was accosted in her home at the age of 81, her team tried to find her a place that she could stay at no cost because she had no money. Um, the press also, if you look, if you Google or go to Wikipedia, you'll see that she was accosted at 81, but that she was released from the hospital immediately. That didn't happen either. She was there for a very long time. She was so badly beaten that her pacemaker was dislodged. But showing the, who she was, she there she's on a stretcher in the emergency room and she says she won't be treated until everyone signs a non-disclosure agreement that she was never there because she didn't want children of the world to think that they would be accosted in their homes also, like she had been fearful of the Klan when she was growing up as a small child. Um, when she, so they were looking for a place and um, a, a wonderful gentleman by the name of Willis Edwards called me. I did not know who he was, um, he had identified himself as the head of the NAACP in Beverly Hills. She had just been accosted. She had no money. She refused to go back to your home ever. Could she come stay with us at no cost um, with um, people that would be taking care of her until she was spiritually, physically, and emotionally ready to come back into the world? And his voice was so emotional that I had to say no. And like Ian, I did not know who she was. I did not get that education growing up in Indiana. I just could tell from his need that um, I had to say the words yes. And my life was irrevocably, wonderfully changed from be saying the words yes. And it's one of the greatest words in the English dictionary. <laughs> I can't emphasize enough. Um, more people should say it. What was your own background, H? I wanted to join the Marines. I was very patriotic, and it was the first year women were allowed in. Um, I was prepared to go to Vietnam for my country. And fortunately, the men at the um, Marine um, office kept on losing my paperwork on purpose because they didn't want women there. So I said, God's telling me to come to Washington to help my country. And I came here as a nanny for seven children. Oh, gosh. Uh, Yes. And it was a great way to learn the city. It was wonderful. It was a wonderful family, but I didn't meet anyone that wanted to help their country. It was all about helping me, me, me. So I thought that um, my role in life was to create a place where people could disappear and be rejuvenated through the arts, the music, through conversation, through positive energy. And that's what's happened. And I bought the house with credit card cash advances. I'm an example of what you can do without any money. It is a nonprofit, so I still have no personal money, but I'm an example that you can, with a mission and vision, um, survive the ups and downs life brings you. Yes, and particularly in America, I suspect, uh, certainly that's my understanding, um, you can do amazing things in the States. I suppose you can, you can anywhere, but I think America has something about it that enables folk to do this, don't they? Why do you write that there are no accidents or coincidences in life? I think God has a purpose for all of us. Um, it's our choice on whether we listen to him. But I think that there's a reason and a, a, that things happen in the sequence that they do happen in. And um, that's why yes is such an important word. If he gives you these visions of what you need to do, follow them. Don't be fearful of, of what you are being guided to do. 
What did you aim to do in this book? Tell us a bit about the book, because it's, be it's a beautifully produced book with lots of wonderful photographs and, and gives you a very intimate portrait of Mrs. Parks, really. Well, being a bad student is not a historical recounting of her life, um, but it is about her soul and it's about her um, heart. And that's that's the woman that I got to know. And, and it turned out to be fortunate that I didn't know her history because we bonded on a level of friendship um, with conversations that are real and meaningful. If I had known how famous she was, I would have been frightful of her. I would have thought I was not important enough to be around her. So she would have come into the room. I would have run off. And um, so there's a, and that's why I say there's a sequence of everything. Tell us a bit so about. There's it. a reason I was a bad student. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but some 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 so-called bad students come on, go on to write very good books and and achieve <laughs> all sorts you. of amazing things that that good students don't. <laughs> Tell us about tell us about some of the conversations you had with Mrs. Parks about God and life. What are some of the most memorable things you you remember about her? What are some of the most wonderful things she shared with you? She never she didn't she was not a big speaker. She spoke when she had something to say. My most precious moments were her with having tea in the afternoon nearly every day. Um, and just simply holding hands with her. She expressed herself through her hands. You did not need to talk. What I learned from that was that um, you don't need to fill space with words. You can fill space with emotion and heart. And I didn't realize it until I started writing this book that she, how she was amused to me. She would, could channel her thoughts through our just simply holding hands. That's an amazing gift, isn't it? Yes, it's a it's really quite extraordinary, and it, it shows you the power that this petite woman had within her. Her fortitude, her her faith was so strong. Um, it was quite extraordinary. Did she ever express any? Um, I was going to say rage; it's the wrong word, but anger at what had been done to her through her life and to her people. She was a survivor. She believed strongly that. Every night you should forgive everyone everything. And in the morning, it was important to forgive yourself. She never forgot anything. Um, and I'll give you a interesting, because you brought Mr. Blake up earlier about in the bus situation. Yep. When he passed, the press called her to find out what her thoughts were about his passing. And she thought for about three or four minutes. And she said, I'm sure his family misses him. Mm. To me, that is just an extraordinary ex response, and it shows you the um, who she is. I never saw her angry, visibly. I could see her when she was upset. She showed her emotions. I, she would get frustrated like anyone else. She would get upset, but she never was um showed any anger. And for all the things that have happened to her, and there were lots of things, that is also an extraordinary ability to forgive. Yes, I think she, she from what you write, she, she meets hostility with love, forgiveness and compassion, I think you write, and there's plenty of evidence of that. Um, we must be running out of time. When did we start? <laughs> 20 to 10. Ian, your questions for H. Um, how, how did her, her faith kind of influence you know, kind of what she was thinking and how she acted out in the world. 
She was um, very active in her AME church. It was, she went to church every Sunday and if not, she prayed heavily and usually a minister would come to see her. But she also felt that at all the, whenever she went to church, she took people of other faiths um, and other ages and of all colors and religions with her because she felt that if you have people of the same faith within a house and no one else is, that that is in some respect, specs um, discriminatory. So she tried to integrate the NAACP, her church, the Girl Scouts. She would, anytime she loved the Girl Scouts, anytime she went to speak, she always took little boys with her. Um, she felt that any group that didn't allow other people in was not good. And it's why she pivoted from the civil rights movement. She was very active in the women's rights movement in the in informing now. Mm. Um, but she pivoted to human rights because she wanted everyone to come together and understand that we're all God's children. She even took it a step further where she studied Judaism, she studied Buddhism, she studied Hinduism, Catholicism. It wasn't like, um, oh, I'm just going to read a book. It was she went to the ashram, she went to the synagogue, she went to the temples. She felt that as long as you believed in something bigger than yourself, you were part of the human race. Mm. Ian, do you want to follow up with another question? That was a good one. It was a brilliant question. <laughs> Let's get him to ask another one. <laughs> Uh, um, I think that's interesting that you, you know, she kind of pivoted away from uh, particularly civil rights to, you know, kind of towards human rights. What, how did that, did people criticize her for that or, you know, kind of, you know, not, not pushing one agenda, but, you know, kind of seeing people as humans, basically? She was criticized all of her life. Mm hmm. Um, and discriminated her uh, against all her life. She was white, she was black, she was native in Indian. So she never fit into any one group, which is why it was easy for her to pivot to human rights because she felt all the discriminations. And she was discriminated by women also. So, um, you know, even when the there's a famous march in Selma where they um, she was pushed out of the crowd, oh, you've done your good to stay away, you're not wanted. And the press were the people that brought her back. She made the whole walk, but she was pushed out of the front of the line, the middle of the line, and they just didn't want her there. And the press brought her to the front, so the photograph is with Mrs. Parks in the front. Um, it tells you a lot. Um, mm. um, now, Mrs. Parks received the Presidential Medal of Honor and the Congressional Medal of Honor, which are very, very high, the highest honors really. How important were these honors to her? They were a way for her to get her message out. It was never about her. She It gave her a different forum to speak about love, compassion, freedom, equality. And uh, as she put it, there was a cancer in, there is a cancer in our society in America, which is racism. Um, so that, that gave her the next forum to be able to do that. And it was wonderful to be able to witness someone time and time again that lived where it wasn't ever about her. It was how she could help her country, how she could help a family, 
how she could help someone that had been raped, how she could help a soldier. Because after she was assaulted, she understood what her brother had um, suffered with PTSD coming back from World War II. So we went to so many meetings with soldiers who had PTSD, where she talked to them about how she dealt with it, hoping that they could deal with it also. H.H. Mm. Leonard's the author, and the book is called Rosa Parks, Beyond the Bus, Life, Lessons and Leadership, and it's a wonderful read. And it's published by R.H. Boyd in the States. So please obtain a copy. Uh, my thanks to you, H, and uh, thank you to my co-host, Reverend Ian Reid. Ian, is there something, anything you, you need to add before we close or want to add? I think, you know, we, we need to keep looking back at people in history, don't worry, that, that have upheld important things and been, been important characters, um, you know, to continue to live in a way that, that reflects the gospel and reflects who God is uh, in this world. Mm. Yes, and so thank you, H. It's been wonderful to uh, talk to you, a real privilege. And thanks to our creative team at Liquid Edge who sponsor this podcast and to take care of things behind the scenes. Thank you to both of you. Thank you, prayers and blessings. And to you too, H. Thank you so much. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story Podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash godstorypodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.